When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Are you ready to enhance your future in tech? Then it's time to make your move to the UK. The nation that has more tech unicorns than France, Germany and Sweden combined. The nation that was third in the world to have a $1 trillion tech sector valuation. The nation where great talent comes together. Visit gov.uk forward slash great talent to see how you can work, live and move to the UK. Thanks to everyone who supports Daily Tech News Show directly. To find out more, head to dailytechnewsshow.com slash support. This is the Daily Tech News for Monday, July 23rd, 2018 in Los Angeles. I'm Tom Merritt. And from Studio Feline, I'm Sarah Lane. From Oakland, I'm Justin Robert Young. And our producer, Roger Chang, is here as well. How are you feeling, Roger? I am feeling fine. We have prepared our navels for a little gazing later on this show. Uh, Columbia Journalism Review take on tech media, which we think we are interested in, and we guess maybe some of you are interested in since you consume this show. Uh, and, and it's a good chance to just kind of step back and look at how we do things, how the world does things. But let's start with a few tech things you should know. Snapchat will shut down its Snapcash payment service on August 30th. Snapcash was launched back in 2014 in partnership with Square. Interesting that that uh, yet another trend bites the dust. Samsung says in September it will begin mass producing the 146 inch M or sorry, 4K micro LED display called the wall that it showed off at CES. Samsung also said that next year it will launch a thinner consumer version 30 millimeters versus the walls 80 millimeters and says micro LEDs last longer and suffer less from burnout than OLED. Uh, for burn-in, particularly, the, uh, the the stuck pixel effect. Uh, and another CES product that's actually coming. I'm so excited. That's two within the last couple of weeks. Sony announced its 8.0 millimeter IMX586 CMOS sensor for phones with the industry's highest pixel count at 48 megapixels. Sony is pretty much a sensor company. Uh, the sensor uses Sony's quad Bayer color filter array to combine pixels together for low light shooting as well. So you get an effective 12 megapixels low light or 48 mix megapixels high res in one sensor. Sony says the new IMX586 can record 4K video at 90 frames per second, 1080p at 240 frames per second. Hello, slow-mo guys. And the first samples of the 48 megapixel chip will arrive in September 2018. Sources tell CNBC that Pinterest may get near $1 billion in revenue this year thanks to strong ad sale growth, particularly in mobile, and may go public by mid-2019. Pinterest raked in $500 million in sales in 2017 with particular success by those mobile ads. Pinterest has 200 million monthly active users, and I actually thought that they were public already. Well, will the investors find that they have a high return of Pinterest? 
Uh, let's not talk about that anymore. Let's talk about my hometown paper, the St. Louis Post-Dispatch. What are they reporting, Sarah? Well, Tom, I'm not sure if you're going to love or hate this story, but the St. Louis Post-Dispatch reported Friday that Uber and Lyft driver Jason Gargock had been live streaming his rides on Twitch without passengers' knowledge since March. The streaming was hot against, uh, was not against Missouri law which both Uber and Lyft said uh, at the outset, but was a violation of Twitch's community guidelines. Gargok said he had a sticker on his car that notified passengers that the vehicle was equipped with audio and visual recording devices and consent was given if you enter the vehicle because you would have seen the sign. Uber removed Gargak from its service Saturday, Lyft did the same on Sunday. Uh, apologies for singing the old Sailor's Post-Dispatch theme song there in the background. I was, I was like, Tom, you're right? Couldn't help it. The yellow, the yellow wrapper on the lawn was a rite of passage for me as, as a young man. Uh, anyway, that has nothing to do with the story, which is all about this guy thought, oh, if I just put a sticker on, it'll be like terms of service. <laughs> Guess yeah, what? You're on the air. When you're violating other people's terms of service, that's not going to work for you. And, and basically what Twitch is saying is like a sticker saying they're under surveillance doesn't mean you get to stream them on Twitch. Yeah, so there. Uh, that is actually not crazy when it comes to a, a lot of uh, if you are shooting something for television, sure, at like a concert venue or something. It is very common to just have a bunch of signage outside that says "You will be on camera." If you do not want to be on camera, uh, then leave. You are consenting if you walk in. I would wonder whether or not if you did something that was a little bit more robust. Uh, uh, whether or not he would be able to get away with it. But this was obviously. Yeah, I think if he'd been specific saying, I will be live streaming you uh, and even went farther to say on Twitch, yeah. then maybe it would be fine. There are other people who actually do this from their Ubers and Lyfts with express consent. They tell people like, hey, I'm live streaming in here just so you know. But folks were As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to LinkedIn.com slash results to claim your credit. That's LinkedIn.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Hey everyone, I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. 
And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Like, ah, but they're not as funny because they know they're being streamed, so they behave themselves better. Yeah, this this is a bad look. In fact, I think I might have seen him do it on, on, the, on, on the IRL. Oh, no uh, kidding. Uh, channel yeah and it was something that i thought was weird then uh it's a it's a strange world man it is it is an evolving an evolving world but i would say- also sounds like kind of a boring stream most of the time people are just sitting there nicely in the back you know <laughs> okay. here we are i will say i've certainly had some conversations with my wife in the back of an uber that uh were probably uh that would have been spicy enough to, uh, uh, you know, have some bits thrown in, in an IRL. I can think of an entertaining lift ride I took recently from Santa Monica to my house that would have been made for excellent live streaming. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. There was one. There was certainly one where it was very interesting. Uh, but, yeah, look, look, this is an evolution of, of not only live streaming in general, but also Twitch's IRL culture, which has already run into a few mm. roadblocks in terms of streaming at parties and, and stuff like that. Qualcomm announced the QTM 052 millimeter wave antenna module. Uh, millimeter wave portion of the 5G spectrum is the part that offers the fastest speeds, but it has the most technical hurdles. It has a shorter range uh, and requires beam forming to deal with interference from solid objects. You'll often heard it said 5G can't go through walls. Well, it can't go through a steel wall, but it can reflect and bounce around and beam forming and beam tracking allow it to still work inside buildings, uh, especially with a little assistance. The QTM 052 helps beam forming and beam tracking work by combining four and antennas in a module the size of a penny for multi-directional reception and qualcomm says its x55 g modem can support four modules so that would give you 16 antennas which you could place in four different parts of the phone and that way if your hand is blocking one of the antennas you've still got other antennas that have plenty of directions to get those bouncing signals that are being tracked and formed etc qualcomm says the first hardware with the new antennas will arrive at the beginning of 2019 this is all good news, <laughs> if yeah. that's what you're waiting to hear. Like this, this you're not going to have a whole lot of 5G service, but you're going to have these antennas, which are going to make the higher speed 5G work. A higher speed 5G practically can get you 1.4 megabits per second. It's theoretical max is around 5 gigabits per second. Wow. Uh, yeah, look, this is a, a good step forward. And also, we are entering into a world now where 5G connectivity could be very, very useful for devices that are internet connected that just kind of stand stationary. And, and maybe you just, it, it's something that can get a, a faster, more reliable connection with, with a chip like this. Yeah, no, there's, there's a couple of different ways that this could be used for sure. This is meant for mobile though. Yeah. Nintendo has filed a lawsuit in the U.S. District Court for the District of Arizona against the operator of two websites that make ROMs of old Nintendo console games available for download. LoveRetro.com has been taken offline, and LoveRoms.com has removed all Nintendo files from its directory. Nintendo's suit claims damages in the millions of dollars and asks for an injunction to give it control of the domain. It's a contentious... Uh, it's the contentious sort of situation that goes on online with regard to ROMs. And apologies for the echo. I'm not sure where that's coming from. But um, but essentially, ROM trading was this sort of like, well, if nobody really notices we're doing it, we can get away with it. And and 
uh, now Nintendo is one of those companies who is more willing to crack down on this. Uh, and it's coming in hard on these particular sites saying in their filings, like, this isn't just a couple of people trading ROMs online. These aren't two people who say, well, I have the cartridges. I just, you know, I want to be able to, to use them in my emulator. Uh, this is a website that's sort of making their name. They don't necessarily, as far as anything I read, they don't accuse them of making money, but making their name and getting a lot of audience to come to them and maybe driving some advertising yeah. revenue that way on the backs of trading these ROMs, which Nintendo says we are the only ones who have the right to do that. We own this intellectual property. I They committed the cardinal sin of any ROM site, and that is to fly above the radar. Uh-huh. Yep. That is the that is number one. It's like Fight Club. You don't talk about it. Ever. You got too popular there. You, you, you know, all the ROM sites make money off a bunch of click ads and a bunch of, you know, pop-up ads and stuff. But you don't, you don't like signal to the world what exactly you're doing. You, I mean, to be honest, more than half a dozen ROM sites I can go to right now that have everything, either a single files or just a large repository that you can download over a, a BitTorrent client. And they've been there for the better part of 10 years. And they survive because they don't fly above the radar. Okay, okay. But, but also, let's understand that there is a sea change here when it comes to... Uh, these companies, Nintendo and any kind of hardware company, has had, for as long as I've been alive, an aversion to backwards compatibility. So it's not like every new system has a way that you can play all your old games on it easily. They've never really been able to do that, or they never wanted to do that. They never were really interested because their money was made in selling the new console. There is now, both with a love of retro gaming... Uh, and the fact that Nintendo has really gotten into this on a larger level with their Super Nintendo and Nintendo ROM devices, this has now become a business that they are more interested in, and so they're going to protect their interests more. Yeah. yeah, I mean, that's part of it. I mean, they, they've they created virtual consoles and emulators that you could play, like, uh, and they would sell the games as a pack, right? You would buy a disc. With you know the twenty five, I think what uh, Justin's talking about yeah. is is the the mini console that has all the yeah. retro games, and the Nintendo Switch store adding more and more classic games to its yeah. library. They, yeah. they they finally want to take advantage of what is obviously, as you've mentioned, Roger, been a fan demand for the better part of twenty years. Yeah, well, and that's ben, a way the that they can get across. they can get away with claiming millions of dollars in damages, whether or not that's true. It's yeah. Nintendo's like, well, you're taking away from our business because we're trying to provide that retro service too. Because we're we're people under we're under manufacturing all these these old fashioned game consoles in miniature form that people can't buy because we don't have enough of them. And so obviously it's taking away millions of dollars from us. <laughs> Uh, the BBC reports that developer Abhishek Singh used TensorFlow to train a machine learning algorithm to recognize American Sign Language and turn it into speech that can then be used to activate an Amazon Echo. The Echo's responses are then listened to and translated into text. Singh believes Amazon could incorporate the algorithm into the Amazon Echo Show, which, of course, has a camera, uh, to allow sign language control of smart speakers. Now, Jeffrey Bigham, an expert in human-computer interaction from Carnegie Mellon University, told the BBC that Singh's project is an excellent proof of concept, but computer vision and language understanding is not yet capable of fully recognizing sign language. So he wasn't poo-pooing what Singh did, but he's like, it's not going to be a perfect replacement. 
At the same time, Amazon today introduced Tap to Alexa for the Echo Show, which adds shortcuts to the home screen as a replacement for voice interaction. This is part of their accessibility push for the Echo Show. And they rolled out uh, captioning to more markets. That's something they'd rolled out in the U.S., but it's now available in the U.K. and a few other markets as well. Were you able to try out Tap to Alexa? Is it rolling out slowly? In, in, or I didn't. I didn't try it out. Now that you say that, I feel like an idiot. Like I absolutely should have gone and turned it on, shouldn't I? Maybe that's <laughs> pushed out to be yet but i will try it well i don't know i mean i don't know anything about sign language but i know that this is a really it's a really cool research project right even though there's well, yeah, there's the more the, to it but you know the sing thing is i mean i would love if he would work with amazon i don't know what his angle is here but i would love if he would right. work with amazon to incorporate this so that you could look at the echo show have a setting flipped on do sign language and have it display text back and and the tap program that amazon launched seems like it would work right into that as, as this could be an extra option you could add to it and amazon obviously pursuing accessibility for these devices absolutely well i mean think about voice to text you know sometimes voice yeah. is just easier so sign language that makes perfect sense yeah it's really cool i like it uh, i hope we see more of it i like it too you know what else i like earnings <laughs> of course you Woo! You know, good, bad, ugly. Alphabet reported Q2 earnings per share of $11.75 versus, excuse me, an expected $9.59 and revenue of $32.7 billion, which beat expectations of $32.17 billion. Google's advertising business accounted for most of its revenue, hitting $28 billion. Other revenues, which includes cloud business and hardware sales, $4.4 billion. Other bets, like healthcare company Verily, Fiber, and Waymo, posted Q2 revenue of $145 million on operating losses of $732 million. So 4.7 divided by 32.7 is 14%. 14% of Alphabet's revenue comes from not Google advertising. Like, we're not even talking about Google Cloud. It comes from AdSense. It comes from ads. If there is a criticism of Alphabet, it's that it's still overly dependent on advertising for its revenue. But this is generally good news for Alphabet. Yeah, well, it's because it is advertising. It has eaten everything. Go ahead and uh, for all of our New York listeners, the New York Daily News laid off 50% of its staff today. The, the part wow, of the really? Yeah, part of the reason why is because ad sales are down everywhere because Facebook and Google have eaten all of it. They drank your milkshake. Yeah, they uh, and they are full of $28 billion worth of milkshake right now. Uh, it, I, I wish they would break out a few more. I'm looking forward to the day that they break out, let's say, a Waymo uh, as, a, as a separate line item. Uh, I know it's early, too early to do that, but maybe Verily uh, is pretty close to that because I'd like to see how some of these other alphabet businesses do. Uh, because you're, you're absolutely right, Justin. They are not hurting in the advertising business, but looking down the road, looking longer term, oh. you know, the decade long thing, somebody's going to come out and start drinking their milkshake if they're not careful and they need to have some diversity to survive that. Certainly so. And I would say us as tech journalists need to continue to put pressure to see exactly what these companies are doing if they are going to be covered with the kind of breathless anticipation that many of them are. I would like to think that maybe what's happening is we should move towards us as tech journalists covering things in a way that helps people understand for themselves what's going on instead of trying to sway them one way or another. But that's our main topic 
If you want to get all the tech headlines each day in about five minutes, decide for yourself what you think about tech news. Subscribe to DailyTechHeadlines.com. All right, we got a good one here. James Ball has an article in the Columbia Journalism Review, a respected publication. I have had my picture in it, uh, so I like it. Uh, It called, We Need a New Model for Tech Journalism. He alleges that the press has treated tech too lightly for too long, treating founders as heroes uh, and tech stories as light kicker style stories, avoiding the legal fights and the dark side of founders getting kicked out. He says, and I quote from his article, the bootstrap narrative remains with CEOs still treated as celebrities and the media acting more as a cheerleader than a watchdog. For most of the past decade, these companies were untroubled by media incidents. And he uses that to paint a picture where tech companies can't be held to account easily because they have this 25-year head start of not being treated with scrutiny. And now they're the biggest companies in the world. Uh, he uses examples like Hyperloop coverage being all over the place when traditional rails can't get funds, uh, breathless Bitcoin and blockchain accounts leading readers to get caught and get rich quick schemes, uh, journalists being more excited about 3D and VR than consumers, and with 3D in particular, proving not to be successful with consumers. He says, ending technology journalism as we know it won't save tech, let alone the world, but it might be a good first step. Now, I have my own criticisms about this article, uh, but uh, let's start with you, Justin, because I know you're chopping at the bit. What did you think of this? I think it's stupid. Not to put a, a, a too fine a point on it, uh, there's nothing that I love more than a pedantic conversation about journalism. I always love it when we as tech journalists or journalists in general can get to the real story, us, uh, so uh, here's my, my two points here on to, to bolster his argument. I do think that one thing that I've noticed tech journalism effectively to me is the combination of two very, very different traditional styles of journalism, uh, a very dry engineering kind of journalism, which is uh, founded by about you know, science and engineering and where the breakthroughs are going to come through. You're a nan tech, uh, you're extreme tech, that kind of stuff. Yeah, exactly. And then business journalism and specifically this very weird form of business that has been incubated largely in the Silicon Valley area, but also all over the world at this point. And when you don't, when you are overloaded on one side in a way that I do think that we are overloaded on one side in terms of the vast majority of our narratives when it comes to tech journalism is on the business side. It's who's getting hired, who's getting fired, who's getting merged, that kind of stuff. It's less on tech literacy in a way that I think would give, to Ball's point, uh, maybe a little bit more of a sobering, okay, well, what exactly is this doing and how does this affect us kind of uh, stories instead of just, wow, isn't it it exciting? 50,000 users, hooray. Uh, However, the one thing that you can't get away from is that this has been a rapidly growing niche and, and and the industry itself has pushed back on, on stuff that is deemed too salacious. It's a small crowd and it policed itself very, very well. There's a lot of evolving uh, stuff here that I, I think does need to continually be shaped, but to say that it's poisoned and the entire thing needs to be ripped down uh, I think is is just uh, silly. And to be honest, even as examples about Hyperloop and, and Bitcoin and stuff like that, I think is one of my least favorite journalism arguments, which is that 
journalists need to be guardians for the readership instead of journalists need to be informing the readership that they should be knocking down bad ideas that they know that to me is a gatekeeper argument and i've always hated that so there were a couple things about this article article that that i took took issue issue with with, and i also also he made made as far as his point about celebrity treating company founders and ceos as celebrities I don't think there's a bigger celebrity than, I don't know, the founder of Facebook. I mean, as far as like cultural impact, that's a bigger celebrity to me than my favorite actor, for example. But so, you know, it's that's sort of a strange, um, strange argument. I I actually think, you know, if you're if you're really defining celebrity, then that's probably a pretty credible celebrity. And people are going to do that. I would also say that the the celebrity machine for Zuckerberg might have been, you know, making a movie out of his life <laughs> like, like yeah, years ago be the bigger the bigger uh, proponent there yeah and, and there he made another point um in the article kind of like a uh fandom thing like you know gadget is live blogging or people are waiting outside the apple store it's like i don't think disdain for fandom is a bad thing i think you you know you let people like what they like people get uh you know fired up about all sorts of stuff tech is no exception in fact, arguably, tech has more of value to our lives than a lot of the things that other people get uh, fired up about. So, like, I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I do think that page views and quotas are a thing. Having worked at uh, many publications in the past, I mean, that's definitely true. But his point that um, uh, the uh, sort of rush to be first and to publish all the articles means that um, journalists are spread too thin that really depends on where you work. I mean, I've, I've worked at places where people had a certain beat and that's what they did because that's what they were good at. So this kind of churn and burn thing isn't always the case. I, that my overall impression of, of this article is not that he's wrong. He makes some really good points, but that he's talking about a different tech press than I've experienced in the past 10 years. And I wonder if he is heavily weighted towards this is what the New York Times, Wall Street Journal, Washington Post, uh, or or maybe the Times of London, the Guardian, uh, because he is a, a UK based reporter, have been doing. Uh, and if that's the case, then yeah, I can kind of see what he's saying. But he doesn't distinguish between that broad press and the tech press. The tech press, in my opinion, have been overly critical sometimes of the wrong things going after people for small things that are like hold on that was just a change in a form why are you why are you vilifying and that's been going on for 10 years as well so i i get the feeling that somebody who has followed tech journalism very closely whether as a reader or or a participant has is going to have a way different impression than the one ball describes he also suggests some solutions that are already in place he suggests entry-level reporters write up launch events and conferences and assign beat reporters to companies there are several organizations that already do that that was happening at cnet when i was there from inside dtns i see the press pouncing on critical stories about big tech companies often without bringing in the broader understanding as a bigger problem than forgiving them these days uh i see a culture that is quick to accuse and ball seems to kind of want to throw gas on that fire however i will say he hits on some big problems like access journalism uh because of the rooted history in product reviews where you have to sign an nda there's 
a huge culture of secrecy where you can't even visit a headquarters without signing an NDA, which is one of the reasons that I don't do product reviews and I don't visit headquarters because I want to be able to talk about the things that I'm talking about. And we need a more critical, top-down, broad perspective to help people understand technology. He writes, people who can sit back and aside from the tech industry maelstrom and try to see the picture from above. That's kind of what we're attempting to do here. There are other people who attempt to do it in other places, both print and podcast and otherwise. And yes, I think we could use more of that. A hundred, a hundred and ten percent. My favorite thing, and this is, we're really going to get inside the kitchen here. Whenever Tom and I have talked about stories, because I've always been fascinated and appreciated your news value as to what is good and what is bad. Your guiding light, and correct me if I'm getting this wrong, has been this is about the consumer that is outside of the Bay Area bubble. Not to correct. say not to say that there that there's not plenty of people here in the Bay Area that also love this show. I know there are, but that this is not about the Game of Thrones of what VC is leveraging this person and they're kicking out and somebody's sleeping with somebody else. That those stories are often they're business stories. They're important business you know, side things, but really it's about the tech and it's about getting tech literacy right. And if you focus on that, I think a lot of these issues are very, very clarifying. And as a kicker, I think you're right. He's focusing on the big platforms while there is, you know, down here, a fine underclass of uh, <laughs> journalism that serving its audience very well. I would say ours, Technica, The Verge, TechCrunch, they all have great examples of people doing exactly that. And, and I'm leaving off way too many because we'd be here all night. But, but there are a lot of tech blogs and publications on the web uh, that do this well. Uh, and, and he's kind of missing those people there. I also, I think Sarah and I should do, deserve uh, a, little, uh, a little perk for bringing in echoes into a discussion about an echo chamber. <laughs> I know. You thought that was an accident. Mm-mm. We really no, no. overthink these shows. very meta. Yeah, exactly. Uh, glad you pointed that out. It's always good when you point out your cleverness to the audience. <laughs> yes, it always helps. <laughs> you know who else is clever? Everybody who participates in our subreddit. You can submit stories as well and also vote on other stories at dailytechnewsshow.reddit.com. Helps us understand what you want us to talk about. Facebook.com slash groups slash dailytechnewsshow is another place you can hang out. Or you can just send us the electronic mails. What do we have today, Sarah? Oh, glad you asked, Tom. Chris wrote in to thank Tom personally for his Jack Conti interview from last week. Chris said, I only really knew that he started Patreon, that his company had that announcement about some changes back in December, walked it back after a week. Wouldn't be the first company to do that. Chris says, at the time of the announcement, you made statements to the effect that you knew the people at Patreon and they were good people. Still... It was hard for Chris to internalize that with the actions that he was observing as an outsider. Chris says, I want to say thank you for putting a voice with the name. It's easy to see oneself as the victim when something goes wrong. And it's easy to see a faceless company as a profiteer when it hits you in the wallet. So it was nice to hear Jack as a real person who's trying to make the world a better place, which is actually a kind of nice dovetail from our, our uh, discussion conversation from this. Yeah, no, absolutely. And uh, thank you, Chris. That was very nice. Very nice. Uh, also, thanks to Justin Robert Young for being with us this fine Monday. Justin, what's been going on with you? Oh, man. Well, I'll tell you what. Folks, you can head on over to uh, freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Uh, we have uh, uh, migrated it to MailChimp. 
uh, it is a, uh, a, a good thing. It actually gives me a lot more options. I can embed videos and stuff now in a way that I hadn't uh, uh, before. So get ready. We, we, we debuted uh, today on the free political newsletter. Uh, I'm going to have, because uh, in, our, in our great Discord, we have uh, just a running a tally of crazy political ads that come in around this time of year. So it is a fresh harvest season for lunacy in politics, and you will get all of it if you sign up for the free political newsletter at freepoliticalnewsletter.com. Of course, you can support this show in loads of ways. There's perks if you support it directly and become a member at patreon.com slash DTNS or and either one. You can get some stuff from our store, dailytechnewsshow.com slash store. Uh, big thanks to Prigshaw over there on Twitter, who uh, sent us a picture on Twitter of him sporting his DTNS hat at the Casey Key Fish House this weekend and looking good. At the same time. Thank you, Prigshaw. Uh, and if you would like to join him with a little DTNS on your head, dailytechnewsshow.com slash store. It's a great hat, guys. I wear mine often. Our email address is feedback at dailytechnewsshow.com. We're also live Monday through Friday. If you'd like to join us, 4.30 p.m. Eastern, 2030 UTC. Put it on your calendar. Say every weekday. Find out more at dailytechnewsshow.com slash live. We'll be back with Patrick Beja on the morrow. Talk to you then. is part of the Frog Pants Network. Get more at frogpants.com. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free. Or go to Amazon.com slash news ad free. That's Amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier. And I'm Kate Spencer. And we are the hosts of Forever 35. And today we're talking about Club Med, the best all-inclusive getaway for families. Today, Club Med has nearly 70 resorts worldwide, from beachside resorts in the Caribbean and Mexico, to magical locations in the Maldives and Morocco, to ski resorts in the mountains from Canada to the Alps. Between their all-inclusive family programming, wellness offerings, land and water sports, and their French heritage-inspired food and drink offerings, Club Med is the best way to elevate your family getaway, no matter which location you're at. To learn more, visit clubmed.us.